Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Episode 73 of Suncast. And I think probably more so now than ever in the history of the rooftop solar industry, there are awesome tools out there for the CNI segment. It's kind of my thinking on CNI right now. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Welcome to episode 73 of Suncast. I'm your host, Nico Johnson, and I am so glad that you're back again for another week of Suncast with us. Solar Warriors, I've been wanting for a while now to dive into the topic of tools that today's leading solar companies are using to grow their business. And today, I have the honor to chat with a company that is at the very center of the behind-the-meter Solar Plus storage universe right now. In my conversations with a bunch of installers over the last year or so, I'd say easily 50% of them used this software, which is an amazing penetration of the market by a very young company. But hey, before I get into it, a brief apology for the quality of my audio that you'll hear in this episode. You'll hear that my guest Adam has pretty solid audio, but for some reason using the exact same microphone that I'm using to record this introduction, my own audio seems to suffer in this interview. And it may have something to do with some bandwidth issues, I'm guessing, not sure, since we did record this over VOIP. Anyway, apologies for the crappy audio on my end, and I'm grateful that at least Adam's message still comes across clear and crisp. Hey, what'd you think of the hot or hype mashup from last week? I've been traveling a bit and slow to reply to social media, But I am hoping that you enjoyed our attempt at looking back at some of the interesting answers that we've had for the hotter hype questions. There are so many good episodes, and of course I'm biased, but these snippets are just a glimpse into what lies buried down in the archives of Suncast. But they're always there, of course, just waiting to keep you company on your commute, your next plane ride, or if you're anything like me, at midnight while you wash the dishes. I am really grateful for those of you who reach out consistently, both on Twitter, on LinkedIn, etc., and not just keep the conversation going, but recommend future guests and topics for Suncast. Know that I am working to integrate your ideas and suggestions into the show. If you are enjoying Suncast, please do consider rating and reviewing the podcast in iTunes or sharing it with a friend. You may have seen my post on social media recently that Suncast is officially on Spotify, the world's largest streaming service. So it's now easier than ever to share Suncast with those who you think would love it. As always, if there is a topic, as I mentioned, that you'd like to share on Suncast, you can shoot me an email, a LinkedIn message, or even pop over to the website and leave a voicemail right from your smartphone. That's mysuncast.com, and it's nico at mysuncast for the email. We are going to dive down the rabbit hole with an industry professional who many of you probably know. Adam Gerza is the COO of Energy Toolbase, one of the fastest growing software application businesses in the solar space, now boasting more than 1,500 users and 
widespread adoption for users in residential, commercial, and even utility in the United States. And I realize that while they are isolated principally to use in the United States, the applications of how Toolbase and Adam's career have grown, I think are applicable for many, if not most of you. So stay tuned today if you're interested in hearing about the guiding principles of the product that is Energy Toolbase. Some of the false starts and missteps in Adam's early career that give him massive insight and value for the current user base of his product. How he's navigated success and failure and how that informs his leadership style, as well as what books he might have recommended to himself straight out of college that also influence how he thinks today. That and so much more is waiting for you on today's episode with Adam Gerza of Energy Toolbase. This episode is brought to you in partnership with SoulRates.com, the fast and free online platform for providing your commercial customers with a credible lease financing proposal and quickly accelerating the process of getting them approved for that product. If you've got projects over $100,000 in value and you'd like to see how SoulRates can help you quickly and easily deliver financing to your customers, head over to mysuncast.com forward slash SoulRates, S-O-L-R-A-T-E-S. Click on the request an invitation button. As always, if there's a topic or expert that you think should be on Suncast, you can shoot me an email, hit me up on LinkedIn, or even go over to the website and leave me a quick voicemail right from your smartphone. It's super easy. The website is mysuncast.com, and you can email me at nico at mysuncast.com. I hope that you get as much out of this interview as I did and that you take away some of the real aha moments in Adam's career as ways that you can apply his learning to your life and your journey. An energy trader, project developer, and entrepreneur, today's guest is passionate about the innovation and disruption happening in distributed energy resources. Not familiar with that term? Unsure about how solar and storage and other elements of distributed energy integrate into software and startups as it relates to our industry? Well, you're in luck because today's guest, Adam Gerza, has worked in the solar industry in various roles for nine years. And prior to that, he was an energy commodities trader. Guy knows his stuff when it comes to how electrons make their way into the grid and how people pay for it. He's the COO of the fast-growing SaaS company, Energy Toolbase, which I know many of my listeners use. And so today I get a chance to look under the hood a bit, really understand what drives Adam and his team, what they're up to, and how we can learn from how they've grown this business. Hey, Adam, stoked to have you on Suncast, brother. Nico, I'm honored to be on, dude. Thank you very much for having me. I'm a, I'm a fan of the show. I've told you that before. I love it, man. I really, really appreciate it. For those of you, just to give you a visual, if you haven't met Adam, dude's a tall drink of water. I finally got a chance to find him on the show floor at SPI in 2017. And uh, it's staggering. He and I beside each other are like Mutt and Jeff. Now, of course, you guys know that I'm five foot nothing. Adam is more like six foot something. So it's fun to, to get to know guys that are towering, not just in person, but in their ideas and thoughts and the way they attack the energy industry. Adam, you certainly fall in that category. I would love to hear more about the way that you have cultivated, not just your business, but your approach to business, your approach to life. And there's a lot that's informed 
how you have begun to formulate the story, evoke the mission for energy tool base that comes from failures, that comes from different industries, et cetera. So let's unpack that a bit today. Sounds great. Take me back to 2008. As I understand it, and we haven't talked a whole lot about this, but you had a pretty successful run as an energy trader, at least it looks like you did. And then you decided to take some time off. Not uncommon in any business. Trading is renowned for just wearing people out and burning people out, right? So 2006-ish, you kind of decided to take a break. 2008, you were in this point of discovery. What did you learn or discover during that time off that informed your dive back into an industry? And, and why did you choose solar? Yeah, to be completely honest with you, I did not have like foresight or vision that solar was going to be this awesome industry that I wanted to be a part of. To be really honest with you, I, <laughs> I needed a job. I hadn't worked for 18 months. My first job out of school was trading energy, commodity products, primarily natural gas. When I left that job, I thought it was going to be a temporary hiatus to do some travel. And it ended up being a much longer than when I was originally planning. Let's see, it was like 18 months. I was uh, doing the day trading thing and I was playing online poker and I wasn't really sustaining myself and my my parents were kind of starting to bust my balls. So <laughs> I needed a job. And that's why uh, I kind of fell into the solar industry and threw a back door there. Now, on this sabbatical, as you put it, and I, I just also I want to preface that if anybody's looked at your LinkedIn profile, I think you do something masterfully. Not that you need to because you're an entrepreneur and you kind of write your own story at this point. I love how you wrote on, you write on, your, on your LinkedIn profile something that most people are afraid to admit. I kind of don't have a job for this period of time. Tell me about the sabbatical. You traveled a bit. I think that we could learn a lot from how people move along in their careers, right? So I'm curious, through this sabbatical, what did you learn about yourself that informs how you currently approach not only just your company, but maybe even nurturing those others along in your business that you are trying to raise as leaders? Yeah. So I think I was like 27 at the time. And I did this pretty badass, you know, around the world trip. I hit 16 countries on that trip. And it was an incredible once in a lifetime experience at that age. Honestly, when I look back on that stretch of time, not working for 18 months, I kind of in some ways have regret about not using my time more efficiently there. Even if I like tried and failed on a couple startups, I'd have those feathers in my cap. Kind of, uh, uh, it, w- it was an awesome, amazing experience. I think it does, you know, it's part of my journey and my, uh, you know, who I am today. But, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, uh, I don't know, maybe I should have made that about, maybe about nine months instead of 18 months. I feel you. Actually, as you well know, there's a two plus year commitment as a Peace Corps volunteer. I did that sort of straight out of grad school as a part of my grad school experience. And a lot of times I'll tell people to change my life. Or I'd say there's no end to the amount of regret I often feel for the lack of opportunity during that period of time in my life where my colleagues, my sort of compatriots, progressed in their career and yeah. I was flatlined. I was gaining a lot of experience. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Most of what I now bring to the world as an expert in Latin America, as one example, and international market development comes from a deep understanding of that culture from when I spent two plus years, almost three years in that culture. But I feel you. There's certainly a period of time where you look back on it. And unless, of course, you had become a millionaire by day trading, which you didn't, that period of time, you have to question. So you sort of fell back into solar, coming back in, looking for a job. I really appreciate also the, the transparency. You're in Southern California and you seem to, just again, by looking at your resume, have a particular love for Sullivan Power. You've been there not once, but twice over the six-year period from coming back from the sabbatical. What was it that first attracted you to Sullivan? Yeah, the story with Sullivan is uh, it was my high school buddy. 
It was a childhood friend of mine, Dan Sullivan, who founded and to this day leads the company. Wow. So that was kind of the connection. It's a cool story. We have a lot of mutual friends in San Diego where we grew up and went to high school. And I literally have, you know, not exaggerating here, probably over 20 friends, like high school circle friends that are working in the solar industry and have been for the last like decade in San Diego, largely as a result of like Dan and his network. That's how I fell in. It was, it was more of mostly a personal connection, really. And Dan had this young company that was growing in this young kind of new industry. And it was like, huh, let me, uh, let me give it a shot. Well, how does your work from Sullivan inform how you currently work with developers and installers at Toolbase? It's the foundation. If our founder and CEO, John Gursky, was on right now, he always kind of starts his kind of origination story saying the product he built, Energy Toolbase, is we scratched our own itch. I mean, we were developers first and foremost. Uh, that's how we fell into the industry. And Energy Toolbase is really the tool we wish we had 10 years ago when we were modeling projects and trying to optimize sizes and figure out savings. So it, it's the foundation of our company. And it's really kind of a scratch your own itch origination story. Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, assuming that everyone understands what you and I know to be true about Toolbase, why don't you just give our listeners, those who might be unfamiliar, the elevator pitch of Energy Toolbase? So the elevator pitch is Energy Toolbase is a software platform for modeling and proposing the economics of solar and storage projects. And the piece of the puzzle that we really deeply focus on and we're pretty well known for is utility rate and avoided cost analysis. Hmm. So basically figuring out how much a project saves in dollar terms. Utility rate, I get. Why does nobody in our industry seem to understand avoided cost? Why, why do we need a software solution? And, and frankly, like, pardon me, but in many cases, software these days, including Toolbase, dumbs down our sales guys so that they can just plug and play in a software solution without really understanding what they're talking about. But you unpack that for me. Why does nobody understand avoided cost? And let's, let's state it in really simple terms so that our listeners at least can walk away with this knowledge. I'm uh, glad you're asking me to unpack this. So in my personal opinion, I think it's one of the most singular important numbers in the entire kind of entirety of all the things you got to figure out on a solar or storage project. Mm. And in really simple terms, avoided cost is how much a project saves in dollar terms. And usually it's a, it's a function of how much of the utility bill does it reduce? So obviously lots of things to get your head around with a solar or storage project. You know, you got the technology side. I'm sure we're going to talk in a minute about the financing side, companies like Sol Rates. There's lots of things you have to figure out and solve for. Uh, avoided cost really is going to dictate a lot of the project economics, um, things like rate of return or payback period or net present value, because it's really the, the dollar savings component that can be achieved on a project. Said slightly different way, and a way that I often try to explain it to folks as well, and correct me if, if I'm off in any way here, avoided cost is the cost the client would otherwise pay if they had not taken a cost-saving measure. Yeah, perfect. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So it could be energy efficiency, it could be lighting, it could be solar. Absolutely. We like to talk about it in terms of solar, certainly solar and storage. But avoided cost is literally the cost that you avoid by taking some active measure that generates or saves electricity. Okay. What or rather who would you say is your ideal client for Toolbase? How would you define that avatar? Yeah. So we got about a thousand companies uh, using our service today. Our clients today are primarily solar and energy storage developers, installers, integrators, sometimes just salespeople or consultants certainly a lot of financiers, policy organizations increasingly. We actually now have a pretty good subset of like big corporate clients that are kind of wanting to do their own modeling. 
And also, maybe surprisingly, increasingly, a number of utilities no are, uh, are licensing and using energy tool base. Yeah. For what? For the same thing that a solar or storage developer is, okay, for a specific customer that has a specific load profile ah. on a specific rate schedule, how much does a solar or storage project save? So they're kind of looking at it from the other end saying, hey, they're on this rate tariff. What are the economics of that specific project? So they're kind of using it the same way that a lot of our core users do. Well, that's really cool. It actually puts you in quite a position of influence and power in discussions across the nation right now with regard to rate schedule changes. I watched the video from late December, early January that I'll link to in the show notes, in particular, where you talk about the difference quantifiable in rate changes. Can we unpack a bit why rate changes across the nation, in particular, let's talk about you know Arizona changing from NIM to net billing instead of net metering, California PG&E, SDG&E. What do these rate changes do with regard to solar savings. And I've heard you say often that they they erode solar savings. Can you unpack that for listeners? Again, something we really specialize in. And I think just as a general statement, before we dive in deep, I think it's fair to say rate design changes and net metering framework changes that are getting rolled out all over the country generally have the net effect of eroding the avoided cost, right? We just use that term of a solar project. I think that's a pretty fair general statement. Before we dive deep, do you believe that it is the intention of the utility to erode solar savings like vindictively? Or is this something that is a ramification of a a broader policy change? Yeah, not necessarily vindictively. I don't even want to have an opinion on the fairness of it. Sure. Um, Energy tool base, we frankly don't weigh in there. We're really good at once a change is implemented, okay, what is the net economic effect for a specific customer? But I think certainly, I mean, if you want to go down that road, I mean, you know, the whole concept of the value deflation effect of solar is real. Things like the duck curve are real. So I think utilities and their cost structures and cost recovery is changing and they have to react via rate design changes and NEM changes. Whether it's vindictive or not, certainly it has the effect of, of changing economics and changing savings. Sure. I mean, in California, like the classic example right now, we're seeing very, very radical changes getting implemented to time of use base rates. All three of the big IOUs in California, SDG&E, PG&E, and SoCal Edison have kind of, they're instituting pretty similar changes on the time of use windows where basically the on-peak window, which is kind of the premium priced energy, is getting shifted much, much later in the evening. You know, in some cases, just to give you an idea, you know, kind of maybe going from like noon to six out to like four to nine. And yes, when you model the avoided cost of a solar project before that change and after that change, yes, economics are getting eroded. It's a, it's a very similar effect with some of these net metering changes that you, uh, that you mentioned. When exported energy gets discounted, the value of solar, the avoided cost of solar gets, uh, gets eroded. Who then can take best advantage of storage today? versus in five years when we all believe the storage will be at a cost advantage. What's the ideal client right now for storage? First comment is that, you know, energy tool base, we're focused exclusively on customer side of the meter storage applications. So that's all we're looking at. So that's kind of our silo. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's fair to say, and it's pretty much the prevailing wisdom right now that the best customer side of the meter storage projects are on the CNI side. And they're generally for peak demand shaving scenarios. Mm -hmm. And they're generally going to be for customers that have high demand charges and have load profiles that lend themselves to shaving those peaks. 
What are those types of customers? Give me an example or two. An example of that would be a customer that has some more short cycle, kind of shorter shoulder peaks, right? Here's an example of a terrible customer. A terrible customer would be like a cold storage facility, right? Mm. If we brought up a load, a visualization of a load profile, it's going to be a straight line with a little bit of fluctuation and variance. Yeah. No battery in the world, Nico, is going to shave KW peak demand for that load profile. It's just, it's not possible. Yeah. And then obviously the one opportunity, I think that's very hot uh, when you're coupling solar with storage are some load profiles that really lend themselves nicely. The storage is very nicely complementing the solar. Think about an office building. Think about an office building that's maybe got like a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shoulder, Monday through Friday. Okay. And if you got a solar system that you got on there, you know, the natural bell curve at solar noon is going to kind of take out a lot of the midday. And if you can couple that with a battery, with a storage system on a peak demand shaving control strategy, it can really complement it nicely, kind of shaving in the morning, shaving in the late afternoon, and really reducing those demand charges. You've built a team, you've built it quickly. You guys are oriented towards educating a lot. I know that you spend a lot of time on education. What are you, some of the mo- common misconceptions that your team has to correct or educate around with regards to your product? Yeah, we do a ton of education. The kind of three guiding product principles that uh, we talk about a lot is accuracy, objectivity, and transparency. So when you're using the tool, that's really what guides our product development and also users of the tool. And that's, that's worked really well. So I think we take the similar approach when we produce and publish content or you know, host webinars or speak on panels at conferences, mm-hmm. which is we just try to give really thoughtful, relevant timely information that's objective and transparent. Yeah. Um, we certainly don't play favorites on you know, technology vendors or financing partners. We're just really kind of neutral and saying, hey, look, if these are the assumptions going into the model and these are the rules, the NEM framework, so the right design, this is what we're kind of seeing as a, as a trend. And if you could use this platform to erase five minutes or 10 minutes from a common conversation that you have with every new user, what points would you fix that, for them coming in that you know they're going to be making false assumptions? Yeah, I think if you're really going to take a swing at going into the CNI market, maybe you're a long tail guy and you're kind of have aspirations to start doing some more commercial development, I think there is some background understanding that you've got to just got to kind of take some time and effort to get your head around, really understand kind of how some of the nuances of the rate designs work, really understand demand charges and kind of how that plays into the avoided cost value. And also certainly, on the storage side of the equation, we're seeing a lot of this right now. We're seeing very smart and experienced solar developers that have been in the game a while, just like me and you, Nico, 10 years, that are moving into the storage game. And there is kind of, I think, it makes sense to do a little bit of stepping back and scoping and really understanding the value proposition of storage based on whatever control strategy you're using and the assumptions that are in that model that really kind of spits out, you know, that final value. I think that's actually, now that I, I'm talking out loud, really understanding the assumptions, you know, ultimately dictate what that maybe one singular avoided cost value is. You should be able to explain it to your customer if they ask and defend it, right? And be able to back into it and not just say, this is what we expect you're going to save. I find that a lot of that in our industry tends to be guys who are either selling and or installing or both. Uh, residential projects because by number they are larger in in quantity and those guys tend to have a relatively while it's not lack of nuance and it's not lack of technical ability or skill 
it is a relatively easier sell to convince a homeowner to put a four or five, seven kilowatt system on their home with a lot fewer potential objections around infrastructure and around certainly around rate modeling. So I, I appreciate that concept of if you're going to step into CNI, and we talk about this a lot, if you're going to step into CNI, it really, in my opinion, takes a dedicated team that's different from your resi team. And one of the things that I'd love to know, I could give a few examples, but what do you see as telltale signs for you that your development team at Toolbase is spending too much time on a client and it's for X, Y, Z reasons, right? Like what for you are flags when you as the COO say, "Uh uh-oh, we now have an influx of uneducated or, or less sophisticated users and we're spending maybe too much time on them. How do you capture that? And how do you correct for that? It's a good question. Our sales and support team, our support and integration team, which is led by our VP of sales and integration, Scott D'Ambrosio, who I know you've met, Nico. In South Kakalaki. That's it. In Merle's Inlet, South Carolina. (laughs) Where I grew Um, up. (laughs) That is... It's a small world. It is Um, a small world. So I'm going to start with a plug. We think we have the best support and integration team in the business. We very, very accessible. Each energy tool-based customer gets an assigned account manager. You can get that guy on the phone. You know, he's going to literally get on a spin up a screen share with you and uh, look at your specific project, help you set up templates and kind of navigate through project you're modeling. But to your point, yes, it is challenging because I think like any other businesses, there are a subset of customers that probably use up a disproportionate amount of support resources, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're needy and that's okay. And we're actually really patient. I really believe with those sorts of folks, but yeah, there's probably at some times it reaches a point. We have awesome like help center content and video training guides Mm. and we run live weekly training webinars. So we offer up all these resources and yeah, we can't possibly have a guy, you know, spending 20 hours a week with a certain customer. And I think we do that respectfully. And I think we found the right balance, but it, it is about finding a balance. Yeah, I could impact that a bunch. Uh, and I know we'll talk a lot more offline, but at what point in your growth cycle did you say, okay, we got to create this library of content and start redirecting people to that as opposed to this handholding? Early, you know, we, we certainly had that, the, the help center content and we've been publishing videos continuously. We're actually really intending to kind of ramp that up this year in 2018. We're really excited about the content we've got kind of scheduled. But I would still say like we're, we're atypical for a software company in the sense, and John, our founder and CEO, would, would I promise you gush on this, that you know, we are going to be a high-touch support model you know, our guys are, we're very, very accessible. Like who else can you get a call back from that same day yeah. on a support ticket, on an email or a, or a phone mail or a, or a voicemail request? So I think actually we intend to stay pretty high touch and make ourselves yeah. accessible and just really make our users successful on the application. Well, to put a pin in that, to have a big support team, and I know that you guys have a, a, a fairly large development team compared to other SaaS offerings in our space. And you guys have grown really quickly. How did you guys go about the capitalization? Did you raise money? Is it private capital? Or did you bootstrap and grow based on your user base growth? Yeah, a short answer. We, uh, we have not taken $1 of outside capital. Our, again, founder and CEO, John Gursky, uh, just willed this product into existence. I forget exactly if it was um, like maybe 18 months of uh, development time before, you know, actually a product was launched and we started charging for it. When I joined the company, we had approximately 50 users. I was actually 
one of the very first beta testers of Energy Toolbase. That was the first time I saw it because I was personal friends with John. We haven't taken any money. All of our growth, and I think we're now at 18 full-time employees across three offices. All of that has been funded by our revenues from primarily our, our SaaS subscription revenue. That's fantastic and unheard of in the SaaS space. So congratulations for that. Adam, let's move into hot or hype. You're an avid listener. So you know this segment, it's about a specific topic. We'll spend 30 to 60 seconds on whether or not you think it's hot or not. Total hype and why. Well, let's start out with blockchain. Is blockchain hot or hype in the solar industry or energy at large? So I'm kind of a student of blockchain. I've read a lot about it. And I was actually pretty early to the game. Uh, I bought my first Bitcoin in uh, 2014. And I even have proof on my Twitter. I was actually recommending, I was bullish Ethereum nice. uh, in 2016. And I was actually scooping up Ethereum uh, in the single digits, wow. like seven, eight and $9. And you know, today it's, it's 100x that have not done nearly as well as I should have in terms of like holding. And, but uh, so anyways, uh, just blockchain as a technology mm. and a protocol, I'm really, really bullish long-term. I think, you know, maybe like 10 years from now, it's going to very obvious that just blockchain and just like distributed ledger in general is going to be an awesome, you know, protocol for doing things. It's going to, I think it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. I think in terms of like the mania around cryptocurrencies and some of these initial coin offerings, I think there are just valuations out there. And frankly, I think absurd in, in many cases is probably the right word. That said, I mean, I wouldn't be at all surprised if three months from now, Bitcoin doubled from the level where we're at today, it's, it's going to be continue to be very, very volatile. But I think there's a lot of froth and um, probably even scams in some of those ICOs that are out there. And uh, that's a lot of people that I read kind of have shared that opinion. So yeah, it's, I appreciate that. It's funny. I think that and this, this is I'm, I'm not unique in this uh, assertion, but Bitcoin is an element of blockchain as a technology. It's just one way to leverage blockchain and that being an alternative currency. But blockchain, uh, I hear a lot of folks saying, oh, blockchain is a, is a, is a sham. And that, would, that's, that is tantamount to, in 1992, saying the internet is a sham and it's going to all crumble. I literally believe, I think that we will look back in 15 years and say, people were actually asking on a podcast whether or not blockchain was, was a legitimate technology. Yeah. The same way that we kind of look back in, in disbelief that folks thought the internet wasn't going to work. And there are legitimate reasons for why it would or wouldn't work uh, at the time. Nobody, in hindsight, tw is, is 22 and of course. Well, let's move on. Another area that I know uh, you ought to have an opinion, and I've heard a lot on the opposite side of it, but hot or hype, solar plus storage. All right, this is the big one for me. And I think my answer is going to surprise you, but uh, solar plus storage is not hot today. Not hot? Um, no, it's not. It, I'd say it's, it's lukewarm at best, in my opinion. So mm -hmm. let me explain myself here. Sure. Uh, again, I'm exclusively talking about behind the meter applications because that's where we focus all our thoughts and efforts. Yep. Um, and it's not hot today because we're not at scale. Uh, yeah. and, and I actually don't even think we're that close to, to being at scale. And I think just the, the publicly available data out there shows that. You know, the self-generation incentive program, you know, SGIP, which is the lucrative behind the meter storage program in California, that data is public. Uh, I parse that database every time they publish a new file. I spent a couple hours with that file last week. Uh, you can see all the reservations. You can see all of the installations and actually paid monies. I also definitely look at that quarterly uh, energy storage monitor report that GTM and uh, the Energy Storage Association puts out. So I don't want to paint like a bad picture because obviously today there are a lot of solar and storage projects getting sourced, getting developed, contracts are getting signed. 
projects are getting installed, both on the residential and commercial side. So there are deals happening, which is great. But again, we're definitely, definitely not at scale. And in my opinion, the answer will be hot, like the storage market, the solar plus storage market will be hot when, you know, we're really kind of selling and installing projects at scale. And I think a good, like the canary in the coal mine is going to be, Nico, when a long tail solar installer can relatively easily sell a solar plus storage project with not a ton of friction, then we'll know where we're off and running. For years, utility and residential stole the show. I'd love to know what you think about commercial industrial as the new hot sector for the US. Is it hot or hype? I'd say CNI is nice and warm. It's mm. like a jacuzzi you want to get in right now. It's um, <laughs> there. That's you like that. Definitely a lot of companies making a living in the CNI segment. That might be the subject title for this episode. The CNI market is the jacuzzi you want to jump in. I made that up on the spot, man. I love it. And you know what? I don't think the goal for CNI has to be like, let's be red hot. You know, yeah. it's not, it shouldn't be the end goal. The goal needs to be, let's make it sustainable. Mm-hmm. Let's make just picking up on your last point. Let's make the processes repeatable. Developers need to be able to source deals. They need to be able to quickly and efficiently figure out if they make economic sense. They can use awesome tools like Helioscope and Energy Toolbase, quick plug uh, to, to do that. They need to figure out if there's good financing available. I'll do a quick plug for like a, a tool like Soul Rates. Like there's lots of different products on the market loans and leases and PPAs and trying to figure out the right fit product for that customer and deal. And then they need to be able to close the deal in a reasonable amount of time. So if we get there, that's great. And I think probably more so now than ever in the history of the rooftop solar industry, there are awesome tools out there for the CNI segment. How long do you feel like it took before you really got what you would consider or what Gursky would consider traction on tool base in the market? Boy, I, I don't want to sound uh, cocky when I say this, but I really think John, right out of the gate, established traction. Uh, again, I, I joined as the third employee. Uh, the second employee, by the way, is his now uh, wife. I think it was his girlfriend at the time, Stephanie. Wow. And yeah, I mean, John got it to, to 50 companies in a very, very short amount of time using the application. And boy, if you looked at a chart of our growth and our user base, it's, it's been a pretty straight line up and to the right. Um, it's gosh, I don't want to like jinx it. We've had good traction initially. Our, our focus had been on the CNI market. Uh, and by the way, even more importantly, Nika, I want to plug this in. Like, you know, everybody kind of brags about, Hey, we have an energy tool base. We have over 1500 active users, but the quality of our users, I am just so confident. We have one of the most sophisticated user base of developers in the industry. And you can go to our website and look at our customers page. We just got a lot of pretty big name logos there. That's helped us scale. It's helped establish validation and credibility for our application. And um, we're very bullish on the future of of growth too. Was there anything early that you feel like you or John did to accomplish that level of penetration into these early accounts? And was there any validation point that you feel like brought the game up for Toolbase? I really attribute a lot of our success to the product. I really do. I mean, that's like a lot of my job today is just showcasing and um, marketing and just letting people know like, hey, give this thing a try. See if you like this more than you know, your, your current way of, of doing savings and rate analysis. So certainly a lot of these big name uh, accounts have given us validation. I'll mention SunPower. Uh, that was a very early customer that referred a lot of their commercial dealer network to Energy Toolbase as far back as three years ago. Right. Pretty huge, exciting validation for a uh, early stage company that was just kind of with a new product in the market. And we've got a lot of other examples like that, whether it's a financier or a manufacturer or now a storage vendor 
that is referring their user base, their dealer channel, say, hey, you should uh, try out Toolbase to run your analysis um, because it's, it's, a, it's a vetted and validated tool. What was one unconventional thing you did that others thought just wouldn't work, but you thought it would, and, and in fact it did? I think John was very, very early on storage. Our initial product launch three and a half years ago at the InterSolar Conference uh, included storage modeling. It was not nearly as robust as it is today. But I think that was, has a lot of kind of early vision and foresight to be able to model solar and storage and couple those things. And then another big one I'll mention that I think now seems obvious, but it was not three and a half years ago when I joined, which is just interval data, modeling with interval meter data, green button data. Our tool, I think, is the best in the business at being able to import in green button interval meter data in any file format or now even kind of synthetically create 365 day representative load profile. And now it's almost like table stakes. It's certainly if you're modeling storage projects, you got to wow. have some assumption on the, uh, on the underlying shape of the customer's load. And, uh, you know, yeah. we were early on that. And now I think it seems like something that's pretty like obvious and everybody's yeah. doing. I'll hand it to you. Timing is everything. And Green Button didn't exist for most of the competitors that you guys sort of knocked Good off point. the table. You know, there was a company, Jelly. It still exists, obviously, but Jelly was doing energy storage modeling early on. And uh, I remember when Toolbase came to the table saying, oh, we are, we in fact do incorporate energy storage. I wonder how John, yeah, you, like you said, it's unconventional. I wonder how John justified saying, okay, how are we going to beat Jelly uh, when they've basically spent their entire life on this? Yeah, that'd have to be a question for John. I will say that we uh, have a lot of mutual respect for Jelly. Mm. And uh, I think they do have a slightly different business model in the sense that they're trying to license, you know, that operating system that controls right. the battery. That's definitely not tool base. Yeah. And the difference, the key, key difference between us is our, you know, we're very objective and third party in nature. The guys over there are smart. I would only say good things about Jelly. Likewise, as would I. Well, let's move into lessons learned. I know that you've got a lot of these. You know, tool base notably wasn't your first rodeo in entrepreneurship. One of the things I love, and uh, it actually is front and center on your angel list posting is that you are, you are a failed entrepreneur. And I think all entrepreneurs who find success are failed entrepreneurs. But you started this company called Leaf Exchange. What was it? And, and what do you feel like you learned from it? That was an awesome, awesome learning experience and failure. Uh, Leaf Exchange was a renewable energy credit aggregator and broker. Mm. We were focused exclusively on California. So there was this big pending CPUC, Public Utilities Commission policy decision on RECs, uh, renewable energy credits, and if RECs in California would have real meaningful value. And we kind of launched Leaf Exchange in advance of that, thinking like there was going to be a favorable decision and these things would have some real meaningful value like they do in a New Jersey or a Massachusetts or some of those mid-Atlantic markets. You know, we kind of were out in advance of that and it turns out uh, the decision, it was very binary. Uh, The decision was no, RECs will not, or, you know, rooftop solar RECs will not be counted in the RPS and yeah. which effectively cratered their value. The learning lesson was, and if I had to do that one all over again, I swear to you, I, I, I don't think I'd do a whole lot differently um, yeah. because we, we, we took a shot. It's like in a poker game, you know, you have the best information you do at the time and you, and you put it in. And the big learning lesson was like how much policy can effectuate, obviously a business model. We were on the wrong side of that one with, with Leaf Exchange. I would have to assume that in your career as in life, you've taken on some mentors, whether they are actual real mentors or virtual. What are some key lessons or takeaways from the most important mentors in your life? I'd say for sure, what's really cool about the solar industry, and I bet you you'd agree with me, is like how accessible the top, top people within it are. I've always found that. I feel like, like certainly if we were in tech, you know, you were, we, we couldn't get to 
you know, the luminaries, but mm-hmm. I feel like in, in, in solar and, uh, you know, I just feel like everybody's in reach or one degree away. Yeah. And I don't know. I've, um, I've, I've, uh, got a lot of, uh, I do a lot of reading. I'm kind of, uh, into the spirituality thing and, uh, I actually need to get back on that tip, but like a lot of Buddhist principles and learnings. And I certainly like the concept of no entitlement. Mm-hmm. What have you done for me lately? You know, you know, like what you've done in the past, that's, that's in the past. And, uh, got to go out and earn it every day, I think is a a mantra that I've been trying to remind myself of lately. Past performance does not indicate future success. I like that. I love it. What do you believe that runs contrary to popular opinion? We talked about this one offline, Nico. I think on uh, net energy metering, I have some pretty strong opinions there. I think personally, and this is not a popular opinion. In fact, uh, solar advocates are going to be rolling their eyes right now, but I've actually felt this way for a while. This is not a new thinking, but I, I really think that full retail value net metering days are numbered. And I think that will happen sooner before later. I think without question, it is so black and white obvious to me in the long term, that will be true. I think certainly in the medium term, uh, whatever that means, like however many amount of years, and in a lot of cases, we're already seeing it happen now. And I think as penetrations grow, we're going to see an acceleration, rate design changes, and NEM framework changes. And I think five years from now, we're going to continue to see uh, full retail value net metering become an extinct animal. What book would you give to yourself as a recent college grad or maybe series or curriculum of books? Would you say, hey, Adam, 21-year-old, these are the books that, that will shape and influence your style? The book that I've gifted the most by a long shot is uh, When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chandran. Mm. Uh, she's a Buddhist nun. I usually, I think that's a good book when you're going through more difficult things in life. That's kind of when I've gifted it. If you read that thing and you retain 10% of it, and apply it, you're going to live a pretty good life. It's just uh, a lot of wisdom and uh, perspective on life in general. So that's not at all related to clean tech, but that's, uh, that's, that one comes to mind. It's quite all right. There you go. Before the final question, how do people get more Adam Gerza in their life? I think the question is, how do you get more energy tool base in your life, which is what I want to do. And uh, I want to do a quick plug. Uh, if you would like to test drive, if you'd like to kick the tires on energy tool base, and you mention that you heard about us, or you just heard the podcast through Suncast, we will hook you up with an awesome extended free trial, no cost, no obligation, give it a shot. If it's not a right good fit, no hard feelings. And then follow our Twitter, follow our blog. We publish a lot of awesome content. Yeah, I hope to see you at a conference or something as well. Toolbase on Twitter is at Energy Toolbase, or at yes, the- it is. That's right. All right, and on uh, LinkedIn, I'll link to your LinkedIn on the show notes. Do you want to hand out your email? Or is there a better email to reach out at EnergyToolbase.com? We're very, very accessible people. I'll respond if you sh- if you hit me up. Let's end today as we always do with the bold prediction, Adam. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Boy, maybe just again on the uh, the NEM frameworks and rate designs. I don't know if it, it's just so black and white obvious to me. I, I just it's so clear that uh, these changes will accelerate the economics of solar will get eroded, and developers are going to have to get more sophisticated and you know resourceful to really kind of squeeze all the juice out of the lemon and get the best deal for their customer. I couldn't have said it any better. And if and when that comes to pass, we'll certainly talk about it here and have you back to discuss the new. Now, in the meantime, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and busy week and sharing with our audience from the vast well of conscious effort that you guys are after over there. Nico, awesome job on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm honored. Thank you. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. 
I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.